Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode is brought to you in part by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like The Guest List by Lucy Foley. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod, or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Hello, and welcome to the ID10T podcast number 1116. Uh, we have some delightful new merch over at the ID10T shop, ID10T.com. Uh, Daryl and Dog, an amazing design by artist uh, Matthew Lineham. It's, uh, it's one of my favorite things right now. Just go check it out at ID10T.com. Also, uh, Swedish horror furniture shirts, which uh, I'm not even going to continue to try to describe. Just go there and see what those are. But we have a whole series of those and a bunch of uh, vintage Disney stuff that we just put up in the vintage shop. So ID10T.com and also a sign up for the email list so you find out about these things. Uh, we're doing a promotion right now where uh, if you sign up for the email list uh, until the 18th of April, you're automatically entered for a sweepstakes, uh, and one winner will receive uh, a huge prize package of all the Walking Dead stuff that we have uh, made uh, in recent times. So go check that out at ID10T.com, and uh, let's talk about you, the ID10T community. Events at ID10T.com, like Scott, who writes, I've been a longtime fan of the podcast. I wrote and published my first novel. The Deity's Icor is live on Kindle Books right now. It's a space adventure sci-fi story. Think Indiana Jones, but in space. Please check it out on Kindle today. Congratulations, Scott, on writing your book. And uh, thank you for sharing it. Events at ID10T.com for anyone else. This episode is Ben Falcone, who... Um, uh, is a writer, director, performer. Um, I've casually known Ben for a long time, uh, just way back to when I almost started to do stuff with the Groundlings, and then I realized, like, no, I think I'm a stand-up. I don't think I'm good at <laughs> sketching improv. Uh, but Ben is so super funny. Uh, he also directed the movie Tammy. Uh, he directed The Boss. He he's got a new movie out called Thunder Force. Um, he's uh, uh, married to Melissa McCarthy, who is also in Thunder Force, and uh, along with Octavia Spencer. Uh, the, the cast, by the way, is fantastic. It's M Melissa and Octavia, Jason Bateman, Bobby Cannavale, uh, Pom Clementif, uh, Melissa Leo. Uh, so it is a fantastic uh, cast and a super fun movie uh, that is available for you to watch right now. Uh, if you are, if you've heard of a service called Netflix, I guess the internet movie Netflix, 
Am I saying that right? Uh, so, Thunder Force is on Netflix. Go watch it now. Ben is a super nice dude, super funny. And, uh, and someone that I haven't talked to in ages. It just, you know, the older you get, the faster time goes and you realize, like, oh, I haven't talked to someone in, like, five years, even though it feels like just a couple months. Uh, so this was a really great catch-up with Ben. I adore him uh, and, and Melissa, and I'm so glad he was able to to sit down uh, and uh, do the podcast. And who knows, maybe sometime, this, of course, was still uh, via Zoom, but... Uh, Maybe we're not too far off from in-person podcasts sometime soon. I don't want to be crazy, but I'm hoping that sometime this year we'll be able to uh, reinstate that while keeping the window open for Zoomcasts because uh, Ben uh, was talking to me from Australia. So that would not have been possible um, in, a, in a time before Zoom podcasts. So uh, here we go. The ID10T podcast number 1116 with Ben Falcone. happening oh sorry for my hat my hat's down in my eyes hey man gives you gives you a little mystery yeah man this is how i podcast now like i'm on a ghost hunting show i don't i don't know how are you you're in australia yeah yeah what time is it there 6 30 in the p.m oh not bad not bad Uh, yeah we're uh we're here in uh byron bay australia uh i've been it's beautiful oh when did you come um, in the 1900s, uh, uh, I was there. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, sure. Yeah, my girlfriend at the time was Australian, and we went to visit her family in Brisbane, and went to Byron Bay, and went to Melbourne, and went to Surface Paradise, and like, and Noosa, like all these really amazing, picturesque, like just incredible Australian um, places. How beautiful! Well, look at you, man of the world. <laughs> I, now I'm a man of home. We don't go anywhere anymore. And that's, you know, and, but, I, but we don't have to feel bad about not going anywhere. It's just the responsible thing to do. That's very, very true. I'm, I'm, we're, we'll head back in uh, August and I'm hoping it's, uh, I'm hoping everything's safe and fun because it was, it's tricky, right? It is, but it's, but I think, I, I, listen, I'm, I feel cautiously optimistic yeah. That August will be a nice time um, because it's, you know, it's it's starting to feel there. There's just a sense where it sort of feels like, okay, it's you like numbers are going down. You know, yes. people are getting vaccinated. It's it feels you know things are starting to open back up a little bit. So. Yeah. It does. It, it feels a lot better than it did a few months ago, where it was like, "Oh, this is not ending anytime soon." You know, so it feels like we we feel okay. Have you have you been in Australia the pretty much the whole time? Um, no, I mean we were there. It's it's pretty crazy because Melissa was in rehearsals for a, a Disney movie um, in London right during last March when it was happening. Remember, we kind of finally locked down. 
and the flights were stopping right around March 15th. Yeah. And she barely got home to LA where we're based. And then um, I think we got, she got an opportunity to come work over here in Australia because, you know, you couldn't um, there. Um, and we took it, we weren't going to, cause we're like, well, let's not do that. You know, we're home, we're safe. We're, we just won't go anywhere and we'll keep Cloroxing our grapefruits and whatever. <laughs> and, uh, and our kids were in zoom school and our eldest daughter, you know, she's very much with her friends and, you know, all about, you know, that's you're 13. Right. So, um, but she just finished zoom and, you know, Melissa goes, I just had the weirdest thing. You know, we, we possibly could go to Australia and uh, Vivian looks at Melissa and goes, let's go, let's go right now. Well, yeah. I mean, if the, if the teenager's on board, then you're in good shape. Yeah. Yeah. So we've been here uh, since about, um, so late July. So we were locked down in March, April, May, June. We, we did about five months of it in LA and then uh, have been here for the rest of it. Oh my gosh. That's incredible. I mean, yeah. what, what, what a very fortunate and amazing, wonderful place to be uh, this yes. whole time. Do you miss home though? Do you kind of miss, does it, does it feel when you think about being home, does it feel like, Oh yeah, that place. Like, does it feel surreal? It does. It's, you know, it's been long enough now, by the time we finally come home, we'll have uh, been here like 13 months or so. So that's a while. Um, but you know, I, my folks just got vaccinated. They live in Illinois, but I see them all the time. So I'd really like to see my folks. Melissa would like to see her mom and dad who just got vaccinated as well. Right. Um, but like, you, you know, cause I think one of the, horrible insidious things of this thing is like you spend a lot of your time not wanting to hurt someone that you love you know, and getting close to them is the thing that could do it so it's just this weird so anyway now that they're doing better i think it'll be I, we miss our dogs you know that kind of thing i i totally understand i mean i have not I, i've i've seen my mom since it started but i actually haven't hugged my mom since a year ago because you know like again i haven't and it's the same thing with, you know, like when I think, I mean, I've hugged my wife because we're in, we're in a yeah. pod, we're in a married, we're in a marriage pod, but haven't come in contact with anybody else, be contact with anybody else, because it's like, I'm less concerned about getting it than I am getting it and giving it to someone. Like I would never be able to. Yes. I, I, so yes, it's the same thing. So my mom just got vaccinated like a week and a half ago. And I imagine that, you know, we will be able to soon. And then, and then, you know, like, you know, and then, and then we'll be able to, I'll be able to hug my mom again. Uh, so that'll what a great so day. Totally understand. What a great day that will be for everybody, right? Hug your mom day. Hug your mom day. Oh, we're like a holiday out of it. Like every, you know, extra hugs every year around the time. And I've, and I've, and I'm very conflicted. I feel bad because I don't, you know, it's like half of me is like, it's your mom. You got to hug your mom. And it's like, but I, but I need to, she's got to I need to make sure she's okay. You know? So it's this kind of weird space. I'm, I'm a cautious sort, so I'm I'm on uh, your team right now. I think uh, wait till she's vaccinated and then hug your mom. Did have I? I I feel like Ben. I like the years have flown by so much, but I feel like I must have known you for a couple of decades. I mean, you were you were in Groundlings, weren't you? Yep. Yeah, we would we would be at the same parties or this or that. We would have a nice, pleasant exchange from now, you know, here and there. Um, I don't know that we ever went out to dinner or something. No, but, you know, I think we would be like, "Hey, man, how you doing?" There was, was definitely a, long a time circle. Ago. Yeah, there was definitely a circle because the first time I met Melissa was in like 
I think she was a PA on a show and it was like 1996 or something like that. Was it her MTV? The, was that the sketch show? That was the sketch show. Yeah. And, that was, yeah. that was Jenny's sketch show. Yes. And then, uh, and then immediately, and then it was like the following year she started booking movies. I think she was in go and then a couple other things. It was like, yeah. Oh God. I mean, but that was such a funny, like y'all's, sort of uh, Groundlings uh, circle was such an unbelievable collection of hilarious, talented people. It's pretty mind-blowing. It was pretty, I mean, it, it is a, you know, like everybody's like, you know, I view it kind of as my grad school in a lot of ways. And, you know, I think everybody thinks that their time was really special, you know, because they are. Um, but I was just, when you look at like what people certainly are doing, you know, in the, industry and stuff you're like wow that was sort of a murderer's row and not to say that there haven't been before or since because there certainly are but it's just interesting to see you know whatever 20 plus years later and you're like yeah Maya Rudolph's done okay (laughs) (laughs) in some stuff (laughs) yeah Uh, Kristen you know uh oh Jim Rash there's his Oscar I think you know all that stuff and you're like wow okay cool Nat you know oh yeah (laughs) that Oscar he's got Oh, and, uh, you know, and then just also because peripherally, you know, there was like Tate Taylor in there. I don't know if you ever met him, but yeah, he was with Octavia, who we became really tight with. And, you know, there's Octavia with all her massive amounts of well-earned hardware. And there's Alice and Janney. And, you know, you just like it all becomes through that group. You're just like, wow, there's a lot of talented folks. So many funny people. And I was working when the pandemic hit, I was in the middle of, um, working on Andrea Savage's show uh, who was also like uh, Andrea might have been just right at right around that time but maybe just like just right after that that era by a couple years yeah she was really kind of part of it I mean she was like you know she's one of the people I I view to like yeah she's done quite well for herself she's so funny but everyone's so funny and you know Groundlings to me was something that I really wanted to do because I, as a, you know, as a young, when I was a young comedy person, I was obsessed with stand up, but also SNL from when SNL started. And you always hear the stories of like, oh, well, you know, you either go to Chicago and be in Second City or you go to LA and you go to Growlings. And I, I tried, you know, I tried a handful of times and I just, my comedy muscles were not, I feel, I don't know, just, I was like, I think I'm just, stand-up is just my thing, but I'm always so, um, jealous isn't the right word, but in awe, I think in awe of, like, people with really good groundlings training, because you all learn, like, character development, you learn how to work as the team, you learn how, you learn improv, you learn sketch, you learn how to write a new sketch show every week, and it just, like, the boot camp training, the boot camp comedy training, but when you're stand up, it's just kind of you in the audience and that's fine, but you guys have a real structure. And I, I always was really um, uh, like constructively envious of that. Fuck, it'd be so great to have that structure. I mean, was that, that must've been instrumental for you, I would imagine. Oh, for sure. And by the way, I also think probably you were already, if I remember serves, you were already doing very well for yourself. So the idea of like, kind of like, going through the school when you're like, Oh, also I'm doing TV shows and stuff. It's just, it gets a little tricky, but, um, but yeah, in terms of like the training and um, 
all that, I think it is, it is pretty instrumental because you do learn, like you learn to write with each other. I remember um, one of our first teachers there, Melanie Graham, uh, a really smart woman. And she was like, look around. And we're like, what? Look around. You know, that thing where you're like, what do you mean? She's like, these are, look at these people. These are the people that are going to give you your first job. And I oh. just didn't understand it. But then it was true because there, it wasn't exactly in that class, but by the time I was in, you know, for those who don't know, Groundlings is like a series of school. Like you go through level four levels and it's like a conservatory and you can get kicked out after every level. And it's very scary and tricky, but it's also um, a lovely place too. So, but I remember Emily Spivey, if you know who she is, she ended up getting me my first gig on a, on a show, you know, she had like a sketch show and I it was like, hi there, sir whatever I had to say it was like a line but I was like oh I got a line so it was was true like you know collaborating and learning and meeting all these and then you know in in other ways like look you know Kristen and Annie write a movie a beautiful movie and you know there's Melissa in it and Maya and all these scrambling people and I I got to do it too and I I don't even think you know for somebody with like zero credits I, I don't believe I auditioned for it I think um I went to the table read and I just, as to kind of help out as a friend and, you know, somebody that could read through some stuff. And um, I ended up reading for a different part that was already cast. And they're like, oh, we've got this new thing at a care marshal. You want Ben to do it? And I'm like, okay. It was just like, a, you know, like, so it is, I think that collaboration and that trust, uh, it does, it did pan out at least uh, in, the, in that case, for sure. I mean, it, 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 it also is such a great reminder because I'm, you know, you look back on those times and you think about how, God, those times, you know, even just hearing you say like, I had one line and it was, it was the most amazing, you know, now you're directing big movies and you guys do huge stuff. And, you know, but when you look back, I'm sure there are parts where you're like, God, it was just such a simpler time, you know, it was so simple. It was just like the, I, you know, do, do you, do you think it really was, or do we over romanticize the past because retrospectively we leave out a lot of the, like the feelings of struggle or the feelings of inadequacy or the feelings of failure or the feelings of, so do you, do you think we over romanticize when we look back at those times and go, God, it was just such a, oh, I don't know, you know, things are great now, but fuck back then it was just the best. Uh, hard. Yes. To that answer. I think that we all, um, <laughs> You know, because, like, you know, I got a line and I was excited and, you know, I, I then I was like being asked to join a union. I didn't have the money to join it and all, all that stuff. And I was waiting tables constantly and, you know, trying to write sketches on the side. And maybe I was a PA for a while. And, you know, um, you know, there are I have stories in my career arc that are, you know, horrific <laughs> you know and so many people do right so I, I would say just you know while there's a bunch of stress and everything that can come with you know making movies and um you know uh all the things that we do I do think that there's you know more obviously you're trying to like pay your cable bill or whatever so I think, to me I, that was that was pretty tricky back in those days do were you did, does everyone get to direct in Groundlings? Is the kind of thing where every like it rotates or or is there a separate like, directing? Okay, no, it's separate. Yeah, so like it, you basically have to show the interest in doing it. I remember actually Jim Rash was the first of our immediate core to say I'll direct, like because we he was one of the best writers, you know, and he was just really well liked. And everybody, you know, you know Rash, he's like such yeah. a nice person. So uh, he, he was just sort of like by. No one by a, 
unconscious acclamation. He was, you know, and he's like, I'll do it. And he just started directing tons of stuff at once. And then once he did some of the other ones of us started jumping into it a little bit, I did, you know, I directed there for a while. I directed the Sunday company a couple of times and yeah, but, but there's not one person, there's not like an artistic director or one person. It's you basically can volunteer to do it. And the, the thing about it is it's sort of a, it's a hard job, you know, cause you've got all these people who, who want something, they want the most material, the best material. And then if, if Bill's got a great sketch with Wanda, by the way, those are not two real members that I knew of at the time made up the names. I don't know why let's say Damon Jones and someone else. Um, but if they, if they've got a great sketch with so-and-so and then so-and-so doesn't have another sketch and they want to bail on the show because why wouldn't they? They're like, ah, I didn't get anything this show. I'll bail on the show. Well, now you're going to lose your best sketch in the show that was with Bill and Wanda or Damon Jones and whoever. So it just became like a domino effect where you're just like trying to put together something that everyone's happy with. And it's never, it's never perfect because it's a sketch show and um, everyone's got other stuff they're doing. And sometimes people are working, you know, all that stuff. So it's, it was an interesting, um, an interesting time. Yeah. But it's always, it's always so interesting also to see who can uh, make the most out of the least, like, because there are some, and I would put, I would put, I would absolutely put Melissa in this category too. And like that, that sort of like Will Ferrell, like no matter where they are on stage, no matter how small the part is or whatever, there's just uh, something that they're doing that brings it to life in a way that a doesn't feel thirsty somehow. It doesn't feel attention thirsty, but you can't take your eyes off them, no yes. matter what it is no matter how small or like Kristen Wiig is someone else who has that too, where it's just, and, and I don't know. I mean, is that something that you think that can be learned or is that just a, like, you know, I mean, some people just are, some people can learn comedy and some people are just comedy. Yeah. I think, I don't think you can learn it. Like when I think I, cause that's, that's such a good point because there, and cause I was always jealous of those people. Like I felt like I had to work so hard on stage to get an audience comfortable enough with the idea of a sketch or the idea of what I was doing that they could really start to laugh at it. Whereas Melissa would just walk on stage and they go, Oh, or Maya or Nat, you know, these different people, Kristen Wiig, certainly, um, you know, where you just people come on stage and you're just like, oh, I love her. I love him. And you're like, you're like, I would, and I come on stage and I'm like, who's this murderer? He's like, I don't know. I don't know if I'm this dude. <laughs> but I don't, I don't think you can teach, you can teach people to get better at comedy, but, I, but you can't, I don't think you can teach somebody how, like, you know, if John Candy comes on screen, you're just like, oh, you know, I think there's, whereas Steve Martin, great, funny guy, when he comes on screen, you're like, okay, what do you got for me today? You know what I mean? It's a. Yeah, there's definitely like, there, there are some people who are, on a molecular level. And I, and I remember the first time when Melissa was a PA, she was so fucking funny that there was that feeling of like, why don't you have a sketch show? You know? So it, I was always, I was never surprised by the success and always happy and always felt like, yes, the world works. Funny people do get like funny people do work. And this makes me very happy. Like it's, it, it made me believe in the system, you know? Yeah, me too. And, and as you see, like, people through the years, you know, whether in the stand-up world or whether in the sketch world or wherever, just, like, 
the one bad thing about getting older is that things get more creaky and you feel weird when you wake up. But the good thing is, you know, you do see people who've been at it for a while and, and a lot of times it, it does work out, which is like, wow, that's kind of dreamy because, you know, back in those days when we're all like, we're just trying to get it and we got an under five and that stuff, it does feel a little out of reach. So it's kind of fun to see back and to look at people's body of work and like to see that people have really been doing um, well for themselves and put some good stuff in the world. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. You know, I think it's also important to sort of um, recognize success in a non in a non ego way from the standpoint of like, we're conditioned to think from early on, like, I just got to work. I just got to work because you do when you first start, you do work. Like you say, you get the under five and yeah. you, you know, you, you need to do that stuff. You got to work. You got to get your union card. You got to get your health insurance. You got to, you know, but then at a certain point when you start working regularly, it, I think it is important to be able to then start to go, Oh, now I'm, I'm kind of at a point where I feel like I want to choose the kind of performer I want to be and the kind of things that I want to do. And I have to learn how to say no to things, but that feels weird because it feels, is that entitled to say no to things because people would kill to have this. But I also know I have, I know the kind of things I want to do and maybe so like those choices are kind of weird when you get to that point too. Sure. Especially when you're like, I, I, I don't know if you still have it, but I mean, Melissa and I, uh, and I don't want to speak for her, but married to her so i'll try it a little bit but like i always i'll let me just speak for myself i'm always convinced that whatever job i'm doing is the last thing that i'm going to do like this podcast i'll be like I, i'm convinced that right now anybody watching listening is like why the fuck did he bring this guy on you know what i mean like why on earth would any you know what i mean so i do i do think you know of course when you're talking about your career what should i say yes to what kind of stuff do i want to put in the world what kind of performance do i want to do what did i just do what do i feel like could fill out the rest of my the rest of the body of work i want to try to accumulate with the thing of like oh so i'll never work again after this very second after this next tape there's someone i always think that like i in my head it's always angelina jolie is just going to walk in in a gown and say Mr. Falcone, that will be all. And just like lead me back to Illinois. <laughs> the exit door, and then yes. in an alley, and yep. then unmarked yeah. van, and the van just takes me right back to Southern Illinois. And they're like, buddy, there's the bar you'll be working at. That's- they don't even stop the van, they just shove you out, <laughs> roll into the bar. Yes. And, and uh, yeah, it smells like bar mat. You know, 
I honestly think what you're talking about, I think there's a certain amount of that that's good. That's sort of like, but not, you don't want too much of it. That, that I think of it like salt. It's like a little bit of salt is good. Too much salt is like, blah, and then, you know, it can kill you. But I think, um, but that sort of, because then I think it, it just sort of keeps you separated from your ego just enough, but you don't want to be, you don't want it to be your defining quality of like, you so, so, you know, like so down on yourself that you sure. never. Yeah. You want to believe like, look, you know, I like the movies we do. I don't think they're bad, um, you know, or we wouldn't do them, you know, and, 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 you know, I like to think that if I'm acting, I can do a good job because otherwise I probably would be like, I don't want to take the role. I'd, I'd be like, that's pretty well I'm just her husband guy and I'll just do that you know I could um so yeah you try to keep a a healthy um self-deprecation and memory that like what we do is sort of fun and it's a privilege and it's ultimately sort of silly you know just that you get to be, be in this industry and you know there's when you think about like putting together a movie like Thunder Force and it's like it's a really expensive movie. Like it's a lot of money. And I was like the director guy <laughs> and it's like, so you have to have the the thing to be like, well, I should be in charge because I wrote it and I know how to do it. And the things I don't know how to do, I'm going to have someone help me figure out how to do well. And I, I, this is what we really want it to be like. Um, I do not like the word vision at all, but someone's got to um, know what it is, right. Or feel like they know what it is. So I feel like I was qualified to do that. Um, Yet, on the other hand, um, and I think we made a really great movie, and I think it works in a superhero way, which is, was the most important thing to me. I figured we could probably make a pretty funny movie, but I wanted it to work as a superhero movie and then be funny, if that makes any sense. Absolutely. Um, uh, so I felt like I could do it, but then there's also the thing where I, I, like I am... At the end of days, even with that confidence, I'd be like, Angelina Jolie is somewhere. She's coming and she's going to take me out of here. You know what? What's going to be weird is that it's not unlikely that y'all could be at a party with Angelina Jolie and then you're going to see her and have a full-on fucking anxiety attack because you're like, she's not here for the party. I'm, I don't let her see me. And you're just hiding from her the whole time. And Mooch, she's coming to get me. She she's wants to take me home. Like, oh, I want to do she and you don't, don't you fucking get near me. You know, and then you just, you, you run. Yep. There's just a, a Ben-shaped uh, hole in the wall, like cartoon, like uh, Wiley Coyote style, yeah. where you jumped out, yeah. ironically, back into the alley. Where I run the wrong place and the van's there anyway, just like the Wiley Coyote. Yeah, and you just, you, and you drive it yourself and you're like, fuck this, I can't take this anymore. And you throw yourself out of the van into the bar in Illinois. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's like, I just want to come to a party. Yeah, I don't know what, what, you know, and then Angelina's going, I hope Ben Falcone doesn't call me out and tell me that I have to leave the party. I mean, you know, people even on that level, uh, I, that thing you're talking about, I've heard, I mean, obviously I have it. I think pretty much everyone I know has it. A lot of the people that I've talked to on the podcast have it. It is a very, it is a very human thing. Um, and in some cases, I do wonder, so I, mean, I do think a lot of people have it, but I was parsing it out with someone once and I and the, that person said the same thing you're like yeah I just feel really bad you know and I feel like I'm not good enough and I go did you go to Catholic school and the guy goes yeah and I go that's it <laughs> I went to Catholic school it's the fucking guilt thing you're never allowed you know anytime you something good happens you got to feel bad about it 
I did not go to Catholic school. I just come by my, uh, I come by my fear through other ways. <laughs> it just, it was just sort of, just naturally absorbed from the environment. Yeah, but I, my, well, my dad did. So maybe my, my, my parents went to religious school. So maybe, it, uh, maybe. It passed it on, yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, It was genetic. It's a, it just, it sort of passed through your emotional genes. But I, but like I said, I think a little bit of that is okay because it, I think it does keep you grateful and it makes, it makes you not take the immediate, you know, like the moments for granted and also, recognizing the preciousness of that is good to, to, you know, to say like, Hey, at any moment, just like life, this could be over. And I don't, you know, and honestly, look, it, in, in y'all's case, it's probably not the case. <laughs> I mean, I think it's fairly safe to say it's probably not the case, but okay, I don't, but don't you think as a comedian, like, because you're a very funny guy, like, don't you think there's a certain, you have to have a certain like ripcord uh, of humility because I'm sure as a stand-up, I mean, I know so many times as a, a sketch comedian, you go up there, you go up there with the funniest people in the world. You go up there with Maya Rudolph, and you go up there with Melissa McCarthy and Kristen Wiig and whoever, and you guys are like, this is the one. And they're all great. And you're like, I think I put everybody in a position to succeed and I'm fine. And then it just tanks. So there's a certain humility that comes with that because you just as a comedian, I mean, did you ever have that where you, like you're doing your stand-up set and you're like, this is it. And you're just like, ooh, that's the thing they all hate. Oh, my God. You know, I find, I mean, thankfully, that doesn't happen a lot anymore. But yes, of course, it's happened a million times. And a lot of times, if I think something is too funny, there's something about it, like on a molecular level, where it was like, it might have been, the joke might have been too inside in my own head. And the audience just couldn't find a way in. And mm-hmm. think that I feel much more like, I don't know, this seems fun. Let's just try this out. That kills. But the thing that I think is so fucking funny is almost like someone trying to, it's almost like I put it in the same category of the you had to be there stories where someone's like, the fucking funniest thing happened. And then this dog was like, burr, burr, and the woman was like, I don't know. And everyone's just kind of looking at you like, I don't, what is it? You know, like wedding toasts are those, you know, when people are like, remember that when we used to take a shit in the sand and everyone's like, why are we sitting through this? I feel like there's a there's a self-manifested version of that where you might have something that's so fucking funny to you. And for whatever reason, it's just so, yes, I have had that. And that's the great beauty of trying to, like, narrow down what you think versus how you can predict what the audience is going to think. And you do get better at it, but you still don't ever know a hundred percent and you can really just have all of the, you know, bravado in the world. And it just feels like you just feel like Casey at bat where you just swing and the bat just wraps around you and the ball whizzes by and you're like, how did that happen? Yeah. And you're like that I'm, I'm surrounded by the funniest people in the world. And we all thought it was perfect. And in our case, well, we, we back before uh, COVID, we screened the movies for, you know, hundreds of people, you know, so that you can see what, you know, what right. moments work the best and what don't just like a show, like, you know, just like you do a standup set, right. You kind of, you start with the biggest version with the most experimental stuff. And then so many things that you thought were like a B or a B minus are actually sort of an A. And then the, the ones that you're like, you hold on to like a special crystal diamond and you're like, this is the one. If I can just make this one, this is what I've always, and people are like, I don't get it. What do you mean? And you're like, it's because it's so unique and so special. Let me try it this way. Ooh, it's a special. And they're like, 
No, I'm, I'm really over it now. Just give me more like the first two times. Why are you? I know, but if you could just, yeah, those are the little precious babies, you know, like, and you, you really have to make that choice of how important is this to me? Because there are some that I think we as comedians will keep around if they don't disrupt too much, just because yes. we're like, look, I know this doesn't kill, but it just delights me. And yes. as long as it is, as long as it doesn't ruin everything, I can zip by it, and I'm satisfied with it, and the audience is okay with it, and I'm okay with that. Yes, I think that's such a. We do that. We actually have the exact same thing. We kind of, you know, because editors correctly are pretty brutal. Like we'll, we'll we have, so what we do for our films is back in the day when we could is you'll you know you play them live for an audience and then you record the audience reactions. So you have a human living laugh track, right? right? And so we're pretty brutal. Like and we try several jokes. We're probably just one can live, you know, to keep the pace of the movie and the story flowing forward. But like basically Melissa and I through the course of it, we'll give ourselves like one. Right. As long as it's not it can't it can't be a clear like hey, I'm I'm loading up and it just tanks. But if it's something that just feels like, oh, that's fun and nobody cares. And there's just some laughs. And, it, and then the next laugh is really great. We're like, it can stay because it's our favorite one. Well, and also, and also it rhythmically might be necessary as like a stepping stone mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to the beat that comes after it or two beats later or whatever. It, you might find that even if it doesn't, if that one doesn't kill, if you remove it, it upsets the balance of the integrity of the thing. And it's yes. like, oh, it actually does have a function. It's just, we assume that everything has to be like, you know, uh, pass or fail, like where it's gotta be huge or it it doesn't. And it's like, no, no, no. Some things like there's a little bit of a, is it's the pathway to the thing and it is necessary. Like music to it. I mean, you know, it's funny. Um, Melissa did that show, Mike and Molly, and uh, yeah. Burroughs, James Burroughs, the, you know. <laughs> yeah, the, famous, the most legendary uh, guy. He was, he was, and he's such a, he's a very nice guy. He calls you honey and all that stuff. He's like, no, 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 the music, the music. And he always talks about the music. And um, I think I do get what he's saying, that there's like kind of a music quality to it of like, when you're building it, particularly in comedy, like, and yeah, you're right. Even if you take out, if you, if you want to get from step one to step four and just get there really fast, sometimes you mess it all up because there's a whole thing that has to happen for it to work. It's a, it's a tricky, it's a tricky game. Yeah. I do not envy. I mean, I just, I, I, I really am such in awe of what you're able to do because it's one thing, like I can go up in front of an audience and I can try jokes and I can take hard left and right turns. And if something's not working, I can bail and I can go into the audience and I can riff and I can, you know, like I, I have this, this freedom of autonomy where I, you know, I take all the responsibility, but I also can kind of guide the show, but you have to orchestrate many different disciplines into one cohesive ball. And that, I mean, the jump from just directing a, ske- a sketch show on stage where you're not necessarily having to direct the, I mean, yes, you do. There is some lighting and there is some sound effects and there is some, but you really don't, it's not like you control the focus no. the way you do in a, in a movie. Can you talk a little bit about the transition to that and learning how to orchestrate that whole thing? Sure. Yeah. Um, so you're right. Like on, in Groundlings, you know, the, 
you know, there's very little, it's, it's a performer's stage, you know, there's very little lighting, like you can do a, a mood lighting if you're going to start with a musical number or if someone wants to make a big entrance and sometimes you even bring in like the dry ice thing, but there's, there's, it's, a, it's, a, again, it's a performer's stage. It's, it's, it's about funny people doing funny things and you try to help shape it, but there it's, it's not anything close to what you're trying to accomplish in a film where there's, and, and when we, so when we did Tammy, um, I knew what I didn't know. So I surrounded myself with like an amazing script supervisor, uh, you know, a good DOP, sorry, DP. We call them DOPs here in Australia. Um, uh, I'm just so used to it now, Chris. I can't help it. I'm so sorry, but DOPs are what we call them here. That is not an effect. That is, by the way, of all the things you've been in Australia for for a long time, you could have been like, hi, how's it going, Chris? It's great to see, Ben, you've only been there a handful of months. Oh, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, like you could have done that. So DOP, anyway, um, but yeah, basically with that one, because we'd been on camera a good bit, we came at it from a real actor side and we just really leaned on um, also our producers, you know, Rob Cowan and Chris Henchy, these guys who've done tons of movies, you know, Chris was working with Will Farrell and McKay and all those guys and helping us out. And then Rob has, you know, been producing movies forever. Just, and so these guys became really helpful to me because they would just say, you know, there was a version of Tammy where it was, a, where it was an indie movie. You know, I, I wrote it to be like a really small movie about a lady and her grandma in the car, you know, like, and then the new line was like, we, we think it could be bigger. And we're like, amazing. We, we love the idea of it being bigger, but you know, just, they would give me simple, simple solutions to problems. So I was kind of like learning on the fly as we went um, and, and just basically paying attention to the story. But yeah, as far as like trying to, uh, learn all that stuff and by the way the first stuff in tammy was the stuff i was in i had two days where i played her oh my God. and so so rob cowan the producer who's again really smart was like let's do those on the first days because i think he knew like these first days for poor ben are going to be just a real shit show anyway and like um so there i am i'm on camera i'm like how do i check a monitor so, so the, by the time we finished and actually melissa was so funny it didn't matter but um then I was able to sort of like put that part away and like, just focus on, okay, we, we, we know coverage, we know all the, you know, all this. And, you know, I'd done a bunch of prep with the um, director of photography and, you know, the production designer and all this stuff. So it was, it was easier for the rest of it, but it's, it was a lot of learning on the fly and it's been learning since. And, you know, as the movies get bigger, you have to keep learning. And I, I think that's something important to remember, like, because, you know, there's a side, there's directors that come up through camera, right? And they have to learn how to talk to actors. Right. They have no idea. They're like, you're this object and go over there because you need to be the object that's here on the screen. And that's the object. But, and the actor's like, but aren't I in love with him? Don't I, you know, and they're like, you're the object that's here. Go over there and do the thing because, you know, and so I had to be like, I could always talk to actors pretty easily, but I had to get a lot better at the, you know, the camera side of things and the, you know, the rest of it. So it's all a learning curve and certainly making a superhero movie is uh, we had a lot to learn there. So, you know, what we did, what we continue to do is surround ourselves with amazing people who can help us out. Yeah. Because you, you know, it's like, I imagine sort of like a, you know, like a drawing where you go, I want to draw, I want to draw like a guy, I don't know, like riding on the back of a dolphin. And in your head, you see this perfect drawing and then you try to express it and it just looks like, you know, like a turd with a Lego on it, you know, yes. and you're, I can't, 
And that's just getting your hand to drop, but actually, but you know, manipulating lighting and objects and, and getting people to do stuff who have their own ideas and personalities, not just the actors, but the crew. And to, to that in that sort of three-dimensional space, to be able to spit what's in your head onto a piece of, you know, film or, or high def tape or whatever, like, or, or did tape. Oh my God. We're not in the fucking nineties. Um, are you talking about a cassette? Yeah. I'm talking about cassettes. You know, when you make your first mixtapes because you're going to be a hip hop 92. Yep. Cause we're just young that way, Chris. And I think your <laughs> listeners should know that that we're young. <laughs> yeah. The kid. Yeah. It's we're, we're old enough that fucking cassettes went away and came back. Uh, oh. That's that, that's kind of where we're at right now. But I mean, just being able to manifest that stuff in three-dimensional space, the first time you sat down ever and watched dailies where you're like, oh, this is not at all what I thought. Or did you feel like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a this is about what I thought it would be. Um, You know, the first time I, I was surprised. One of the things that surprised me when we first did Tanny was that the editors were there cutting away with you. I don't know why in my head and because it was just, I was, I didn't know. I thought, Oh, you'll get all your stuff. Then it will all go to the editor, which by the way, makes no sense at all. Of course they're cutting it as they get it. That would make zero sense. Like, Hey, just wait for six months while we do nothing. Um, Here's your movie. Thank you. Like you've dropped off a box photo mat and you get, or like, and then you just get it and uh, here it is. And here it is. I'm just going to carry it home with me. Um, I remember the first time I saw some stuff cut together, I was, uh, I was, I was sort of happy because I, you know, it it was again, just sort of, it was a lot on my mind and I I didn't want to mess up, you know, this, the script that we'd written and Melissa was doing a great job and there's Susan Sarandon, you know, I've got Oscar winners everywhere and there's Janny, you know, as Melissa's mom and, you know, all this stuff, um, uh, so I remember seeing it kind of put together and I was like, oh, I think this basically works. Uh, so now it's just a question of shaping it and stuff. So I actually remember the first time I saw a cut scene put together and I was like, cool, you know, because it is like, yeah, you go into these houses or a stage and you're like, is this going to work? But luckily, you know, you've been through it all. Like what kind of house would that person live in? You know, and, But you're right. Everyone's got an opinion. Um so you have to hire people that you hopefully agree with a lot more than you disagree, because otherwise you're going to have to do everybody's job. And then you'll, you know, those are the people who kind of go crazy and spin out and stuff. So, um, but yeah, I, I do remember sort of seeing the, the, when it's in Tammy, it's when they're like leaving the house altogether. It became kind of this almost like a stage play where they walk, Melissa gets pissed at her mom, walks to the back room, picks up her grandma, her grandma grabs some beer and they come back through the front. And I was like, Oh, this basically works. Like it was, it was, pretty cool um because that wasn't how i imagined it and then when we were there we figured out that was how we kind of had to do it because otherwise you all the rooms were really small and it was hard to shoot in them you know all that kind of stuff so uh, i remember just being like kind of relieved like oh thank god this basically makes sense ophthalmologist dr strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. 
When you get HubSpot Sales Hub, it's like getting a new teammate. An efficient, organized, helpful teammate who's also super easy to work with. The kind of teammate who reduces everyone else's busy work with a new prospecting workspace. A teammate who keeps the entire team focused and on track with easy-to-use deal management tools. A teammate who won't jockey for your promotion or microwave leftover shrimp scampi in the break room. Learn how you can close deals faster and crush your revenue goals with Sales Hub at HubSpot.com sales. I think it's easy to take for granted now, like, well, everyone's a visual storyteller because everyone's on fucking Instagram, you know, but yes, a lot of people take videos and a lot of people take pictures, but that doesn't mean that people are DPs and photographers and directors. And those two things are not the same, but to to think in visual terms, um, I mean, when I was just out of college, my best friend at the time um, from high school just immediately started storyboarding. He became this really, you know, this really successful storyboard artist and a couple of years after college, I was like, oh, I want to, I like to draw. I could storyboard. And he goes, okay, great. Just draw a picture of a guy walking across the street. And I go, oh, what do you mean? Well, just draw a picture of a guy crossing the street, whatever that means to you. And I go, yeah, no problem. I could not fucking do it because I couldn't, I was like, wait, are there cars in the street? He's like, that's not up to me. You got to figure out what that, and I could not, there was, I was like, I was like riddled with infinite choice. And because yes. I didn't know I couldn't. And then I realized like, oh, okay. Yeah. Like telling a visual story is fucking hard because there's a lot of stuff you have to know and you have to kind of see it so you can manifest it. And maybe this isn't, you know, maybe that's not (laughs) necessarily my path. I mean, did you feel like you were naturally inclined to uh, tell visual stories? Well, you know, it's funny you should say that because I, I came up, you know, writing, you know, so writing is different than, the visual side. Like I always wonder about, you know, Aaron Sorkin who's now made the jump to, you know, directing his own stuff, um, how much he enjoys it or not. We should have him on the podcast, but can we, um, can we call him now. Should we get him on the phone now? Oh, we can't. Um, oh, he's not calling it. I thought, he, no, I don't think he's going to call in. Okay. Oh, he's not. That, oh, okay. No, uh, also okay. the call in show, but I was going to, yeah, no, I guess it's not. Oh, no. Well, then it's fine. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, so if you've got a, a scene say where people are, hopefully it's a funny, uh, I, I, I'm actually doing a thing now where like there's, it's sort of a, a comedic look at the apocalypse. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, there was a thing where it's a, it's sort of an action scene and people are running towards uh, this thing that is dangerous. And, they, you know, everyone's got a different thing and hopefully there's a funny part. Um, but in my head, I was just, I was just writing it and I didn't even realize that I had visualized, visualized a larger space. Um, that once you get there, you're like, well, and it's, and it's in someone's backyard, uh-huh. but it's in, it's in someone who's like makes a modest living backyard. But for some reason, when I wrote it, I wrote it for far too big a space. Does that make sense? So then I had to like kind of tone it down a little bit. Cause I'm like, there's like 10 lines and a bunch of stuff is happening. And people are running and someone's going to throw a thing in a thing. And I was like, we have to just, you know, pair these lines back because why did I write this to take place in a football field? I have no idea. Do you know what I mean? It's like, so it is a question of scouting, learning, you know, and all these great directors who are able to do all, um, all that, you know, they're able to take the script, which is of course where you start. But then when you're met with the reality of production and, and met with real spaces, every day is a challenge. Every day is, you know, there's something wrong every day. It's not like, Oh, this is, it's just all done. Unless you're able to like 
have a humongous budget or like, you know, my understanding is that Spielberg does pre of everything. So he's sort of, you know, executing on the day, a beautiful version of something that he already knows how it goes. Pretty done. Yeah. By the time they're shooting it, he's already like, this it's already is done. Going to be. and, 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 but I love his movies. Clearly he's a, you know, obviously, um, but that's something that so many of us don't, don't have anything close to the budget to hope to achieve. You know what I mean? In terms of, someone going with a you know just a gopro and figuring it out and there's you know <laughs> actors and whoever's doing it and you know then you put it on a computer simulation you're like look this is what it is now we have to go actually just shoot it and i i feel like my blood pressure would be so low because i'd be like guys um we're we're through uh two eighths of the thing that we already know what we're doing it's pretty much already done we just have to execute it today um uh, so for the rest, you know, of us, it's like, you know, try, sometimes you're just met with these challenges and trying to figure out how to, how to achieve it. So, so that it's fun, but it's, it's one of the reasons um, why for this new thing, I'm just, I'm sort of in it and I wrote it and I'm not directing it just so that other people can figure out, like, I could do that, but I've done it a lot lately. So it's kind of fun to be like, oh, hey, somebody else figure out where the steady cam is going to go over there. And then we're going to yeah. I mean, it's there. I I imagine that there's a real um, balancing act because you ultimately kind of have to be, you sort of have to, as the director, have to have answers for everything, especially if you're the writer director, you kind of have to have answers. If if someone says, you know, how many uh, Christmas lights are in the scene? Uh, 294, you know, like you have to kind of know, but um, at the same time, you do hire people that you trust. So, but it's that thing of how do you know when if you feel strongly about something, but everyone else says like, I don't really think it should be done that way. When do you know to acquiesce and go, okay, well, I hired these people because they're experts and I should listen to them versus like, no, I really feel like I need to go with my gut on this. How do you know, you know, like what's the, when do you know? That's a great question. Um, And I'm not just patronizing you. That's a good question. Um, The, uh, so I think, if I really, really feel like it has to be a certain way, if that doesn't occur altogether that often, I will get it that way for sure. Because again, I wrote it, I'm directing it and I'm the one who has to live with it in the cutting room. The production designer doesn't, the director of photographer doesn't, um, scripty doesn't, you know, the, the, and everybody has a strong opinion and they're all smart. Um, but if I really know that, that I need it, uh, I'm going to get it. And what I usually will do is I'll, if it's something that is possible to do, I'll get it both ways because I don't want to say like, if somebody really smart, a producer, uh, you know, again, script supervisor, f- director of photography, somebody who really knows their stuff an actor might want to do it a certain way. And I'm like, Ooh, that might ruin this whole thing because you're supposed to be scary. And now you seem to me, at least at this moment, a little silly or something. That's just an example. It's a random, but like, um, then I'll get it both ways because I can figure it out later. Whereas sometimes on the day art, you know, again, uh, when our first movie, uh, we were doing a scene with Melissa and Susan Sarandon and, you know, we, Melissa and I sort of go, because we've written this thing and we've lived with it for so long. We go back to the monitor and we're looking at it and we're watching it. And Susan goes, we're like, is she angry enough here? Or something like that was the vibe. 
And Susan walks up and she goes, it would be so much faster. I could just, I heard you say maybe a little angrier. I'm happy to do it. Wouldn't we, don't you, how about I just give it to you? And then you have both and you could figure it out. And I was like, you sound super cool. And that, and maybe not everyone is that way. Yeah. And I was like, Susan, you're the best. And because she's also such a good actor, she can do it a variety of ways anyway. Um, and we kind of kept that uh, vibe going like, you know, to your earlier question, like, so I'll try to get it both ways because usually it's faster. Like if it's like how many lights are on the house, two or 2 million. Right. That's something that you have to decide because you, you can't just, but a lot of times it's like, should, 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 when Chris gets to the top of the hill, should he look really big and he's we're below him and we're looking at the sky or do you want to see all the stuff under him and all the, you know, the, uh, the people that he's, uh, you know, fought his way through because you're a, you're a big hero in this movie. You've, you've gotten all the way to the top of the mountain that you had to get to to get the crystal, Chris, of course you had to get the crystal. So the then it's like, well, if I've got a guy on a steady cam and you're running up the hill, I'll, why don't I just do both? Because we're right there. Well, yeah, but I, but I think it's, you know, for anyone who, uh, and I love collaboration for it, but, and for, but for anyone who either like just starting to collaborate with people or, doesn't really isn't necessarily comfortable with collaborating with people. I do think there is that balance because, you know, it's you want to empower the people that you've entrusted. But at the same time, if you if you if every time someone's like, we should do this, then you do run the risk of it just becoming a mess because then it's just kind of out of control and it still needs to be steered Oh yeah. No, I mean, that's like a once a week type of thing. Like if you're getting that every day, I think we should do it this way. Well, I never, like, hopefully you've dealt with that in prep because, you know, if you prepare really well and you've gone through the, you know, A to Z with your whole team, maybe something will come up, but like, you shouldn't be getting, you know, for anybody who's collaborating and listening and, you know, if you're getting that, that amount of pushback feedback, it probably means a, you might have the wrong people on your team or B you didn't have enough time due to budget or just due to whatever to actually prepare because if you're really prepared, you should know, okay, Chris, here's the two things. You're going to come up the hill and I'm either going to shoot you like this or like this because Melissa thinks it looks cool to look down there. And I like think it looks cool to look up here. But if you're saying, if then someone else is saying he shouldn't run up the hill at all, well, now we're just in a, that is a mess and you don't want to be part of the mess. Like you want to, you want to have a basic plan. You, you have to have a basic plan or you're never getting anything done. Okay. So I know I have about 10 minutes left with you. So I have two more questions for you. Um, Question the first, um, do I am always fascinated by the comedy editing process because it feels like there are a million wrong ways to do something. And at a certain point, and that's why I love live performance because it's just so in the moment you can't really overthink it. But, but when you've watched something a thousand times to the extent that you don't even know what syllables mean anymore, how do you know? Like, how do you, you know, when your editor's looking at you going, is this right? And you're like, I don't know. Do you think it's right? Shit. I don't, what do I, I get, I think, I think it's good, but I don't know. Like, what do you, what do you fall back on that kind of drives you through those moments? Well, I think, you know, are you serving the story, you know, for sure. And yes, when you, a lot of times, if, if I start to feel that I walk away and I'm like, let's, you know, and, and you do, you, you start to work really long hours and so is the editor and everyone starts to think, and you start to say, 
what if the middle is actually the beginning? And what if you put the third act in the first act? And then because he does say, I'm going to go on an airplane. And, you know, you just get this stuff where you're like, I could make it like this because you can. Yeah. Um, I usually choose to walk away and um, go have a scotch and wake up tomorrow and look at it with fresh eyes or, or, um, and let everyone, because I do think I'm of the belief um, that working efficient, shorter, more focused hours is conducive to a better product. So what I, what I usually do is I'll, again, like for, at least for our comedies when we're able to do it is we do, we, we will have screened it for maybe anywhere from three big audiences to sometimes nine or 10, you know, so you've got a lot of information in terms of like, it's rare that you, and, you know, I think, I mean, they've been doing it for a long time, but like Judd Apatow and Paul Feig, you know, really do that. Like in terms of like, we take the audience reaction, we know what it is. So that way later when the editor says, oh, but it was so funny when she said that. And the director's like, no, it's not. I like this moment better. They can actually refer to the the screenings that they've seen. And to your point before, sometimes when you cut out the middles of stuff, which you often have to do, just otherwise you'll have a six hour movie, you mess up the thing that was good. So, you, you know, there are lots of like little, you know, it's unraveling the sweater. Right. So um, when, when that happens, I just, I just, I say, does this serve the story? Are the characters acting like themselves? Does it make sense? Um, because particularly with comedy, sometimes it is an unexpected choice. that's so funny or jarring and you just want to make sure you're not, um, you want to make sure you're serving the characters. Well, my wife and I watched Thunder Force the other night and we loved it. It's such a fun movie and it, and it, uh, it just feels good. Like it was, I think it also came along at a really good time too, because we're starting to feel, it was just, it was the right kind of fun, feel good movie when we were start, ready to start feeling good about, you know, just like, right. oh, we're starting to feel, you know, a little less anxious, you know? Right. And so it just, you know, we, we had dinner and then we crawled into bed and we watched it and, and, and it was just, it was just such a fun, wonderful, lovely, funny movie. And, uh, and, and listen, I, you know, I feel like, in my head, I feel like, like, like you said, like, oh, we've known each other for a long time, but, not, but we haven't like been to dinner. I do tend to think of like, oh my God, I've, you know, like, I feel like I've been friends with that guy for a long time, or I've been friends with him for a long time. But then I think back, like, well, it's not like we really hang out or call each other. That being said, I always have such fond feelings for you. And, uh, and I'm always excited. Like, I'm always really rooting for you. And I'm always really happy for you. Uh, and it was just such a fun, cool thing to see. It's like, fuck, Ben directed that. And everyone in it is great. And I don't want to give anything away, but the um, Jason Bateman uh, turn in that movie is fucking amazing. Uh, and, it, and it's just a great, fun movie. Oh, thanks, man. And, you know, I feel the same. I, I, I was like, oh, cool, I'm doing Chris's show. And then I'm like, I don't have his phone number. I don't text him um, or whatever. But, uh, but I, I was I was excited to uh, get the chance to talk to you about it. And yeah, the um, um, I'm glad you enjoyed the movie. And it, we did take some we do take some swings in it. You know, Bateman being a primary example. He's the um, perfect person for right that. I mean, it's just his the way that he his comedy presence 
is the exact, I don't want to give anything away, but he is perfect for what he does in the movie. Why, thank you. Um, I can I can give away the fact that he is half man, half crab. Oh, you can't give that away. Okay, yeah, exactly. I can say, uh, so when he... Um, uh, and when he, he does, he's one of my best friends. So when, when, uh, when I asked him, I was like, you want to do a movie? He goes, what? what are you talking about? I'm like, Hey, you get the crab. He's like, what? <laughs> he it's an extended bit. Every time he scurries away, it's like, it, it's just, it's just one of those comedy choices of like, fuck, you know, like the perfect way to do that was that there were a million other ways to do that. But, and again, it's that sort of groundlings thing too, of just, and I know Bayman wasn't a groundling, but it's still just like, what is the purest, simplest way to express this idea in yes. the most unexpected but meaningful way? Like it's unexpected, but when you see it, you realize it could not have been anything else. Yeah, and you know, that wasn't scripted at all. That was our um, longtime script supervisor, uh, Sheila Waldron, who, who was like scripty for now she's into directing, but she was script supervisor for bridesmaids and all these Tammy and all these other movies. And she, and she came up to me and was like, shouldn't he? (laughs) (laughs) And even the way she said it was so creepy. And I think there was a lot of hand work. Shouldn't he kind of, and I was like, Hey, Jabe, do you want to go that way? And he's like, it was perfect. And, and I know, I know we're running out of time. So I just, my, my last question is, do you, the, the way that you and Melissa work together, do you, do you think of yourselves as like we are a comedy team or do do you do you feel like no we are two people who work separately but very well together or do you think of yourselves as like a comedy like just in the way that if you were doing a two-person show at the groundlings and you each had your own kind of individual parts or do you think of it not that way um another excellent question this must be why your podcast is so very popular and I congratulate you. Um, I appreciate that. Um, uh, seriously, that's a really good question. And actually, I do have an answer, I think, which is um, as much as I obviously love Melissa personally, we're married, she's my best friend, all those things. And she's truly the funniest person I know. And I know a lot of funny people. Uh, she's right up there, I should say, with you know several others. Um, but I think of myself as my own human and I think of her certainly as her own comedic human I I don't think of us as a comedy uh, duo per se though she's my favorite person to work with you know she's she's had obviously so much success and so much so many things that she's able to do um, that I like you know I think of her certainly as an individual when we work together it is my greatest delight so maybe it's a little bit of both you know because um, I certainly would love to be part of a comedy team with her, but I also would never want to limit her um, to just only working with me, you know, because I that- didn't come off that way, by the way, because I didn't, I didn't mean that you'd work. Cause I think of it when I say comedy team, I think of like Dratch and Faye where it's like, yeah, sure. you know, where they like, they work as a team and they can think of themselves as a team when they're working together. But of course they have their own careers or like, or Tina and Amy, you know, where it's like, they, they can, they, when I think of like Tina and Amy, I, when they work together, I think of them as like, oh, they're a team. They're teaming up. And so they work as a unit. Oh, but that we definitely do. That's what I'm talking about. Like, are you guys, yeah. you know, indivisible as a, and your identities? No, I didn't mean that at all. I meant like when you're working together, do you think of yourselves as like teaming up in that sort of comedic way? Uh, or do, or, or is there still separation of like, 
oh, you know, we just, I happen to be a director. She happens to be an actor. We happen to work on some stuff together, but it's not like, cause when you, you have a real shorthand when you have, when you're able to team up with someone, you know? We definitely team where I, I think it's, you know, and in fact, it's the team element of like when we are uh, working on something together, one of our projects, uh, she's, you know, always producing it. I'm always directing it or, you know, to this, you know, five times anyway. Um, but like, she is so, um, she's whether, whether or not she's able to be there for the actual scripting of it, where that's been, we've done three times, like it gets confusing. Mark's friend, Steve Mallory wrote one of them. Uh, so we were kind of executing his script that was super intelligence. And then I wrote uh, thunder force, the last one, even though she, you know, obviously did amazing punch-ups and stuff, but I, I, she was not there. So I was able to, you know, I had to write the whole thing. So, but I do think that uh, no matter what the form that it takes, it's definitely a team. And, and as we've gotten more farther along in the movie making process, uh, I think we've gotten a lot better at it because we, you know, there are, there are certain elements of the production that she's just so good at. Uh, and then there's other stuff that I've sort of I'm drawn more towards. So it's, we were able to, in a lot, there's so many things to accomplish sometimes that it's so wonderful to be able to kind of divide and conquer a little bit, you yeah. know? So like one example is like wardrobe. Um, you know, I knew that it was for Thunder Force. I knew that it was so important that they had badass suits. Like their superhero suits had to be so cool, which they are. And I'm like, I go, Mooch, we need super cool superhero suits. And she's like, yep. And so we go to this company, Ironhead, and they're amazing, right? And they're able to make them because they make all the coolest suits and all the stuff for all the, you know, marbly, all that stuff. Oh, so we go to them. But then that becomes, I'm like, and my thing is they just have to look so cool. It has to be like we're watching Thor or watching whatever. We can't be watching a comedy right. movie about superheroes. And so she takes that and then she is so much a part of design with our costume designer and with Ironhead. And I'm able to focus on the other zillion things that we're supposed to do. So it's very much a team game. And then, of course, on the day, I'll say, ooh, could you try this? And she's like, oh, or this. And it's usually a lot funnier building on the thing that I thought of. So it's it's very much a team. And it's it really, it, it actually does get more fun each time, which is strange to say, because a lot of times people are looking for that sort of adversarial, I know you're not, but in, you know when you do junkets or whatever, they're like, uh, who's the boss in your family or whatever. Oh, God. Oh. I'm just like, okay, well, you know, I, we, we love each other and we get along and, and she's just so funny. So we're very much a, a team and we have constant collaborators and we try to bring the same um, friend group who are talented craftspeople in the yeah. industry. So we, we bring those people along too, who really help us uh, mind our P's and Q's as well. And that's, and that's the other thing, you know, just wrapping this up, that's the other thing that I love too, is that real sense of like, hey, we're all part of a community and I and we work together and let's all like elevate each other, you know, not, not just career-wise, but also comedy-wise, y'all elevate each other, you know, like because of that, you're just so adept at, you know, working together and you care about each other. And the fact that someone would try to find friction and it's like, the fact that you can work together and be married and have kids and have this wonderful life. It's like, it's a dream. Like, it's wonderful. I don't know why anyone would, that's, that's really disappointing to hear that people are like, where, who's the, like, come on. Why is there, what is it? Can we please just be happy? Is that okay? No, that's okay. Isn't it? Being happy. Yeah, no, I know, but not to me. 
And also, um, people should. Uh, it's uh, Thunder Force is on uh, Netflix. The yeah. cast is absolutely amazing. Uh, it's Melissa and uh, Jason Bateman and Octavia Spencer, who I don't know if a lot of people knew know was a groundling, but she's so incredible. Uh, well, she was never in the groundling. She was she was just always around, and we I always. Know, in my head, I thought she was in the groundlings, and she was there so much. She was always like, "Oh, I can't do," and even though she was like the finest one of us all were like uh you but then she started just like you she started working so much so quick that she could never you know make the time to do the classes and stuff but it's palm is in it uh bobby cannavale is in it i mean yep. it's, it's like we've got uh a really really good uh team they're all so good they did a good job well congratulations uh people should go watch the movie they should like stop this this podcast is ending just drop your device and then just ru- or on the same device you could just jump to another app because that's the technological wonderland we live in. Um, ben, I'm sending you virtual hugs and I really hope to see y'all when you come back to Los Angeles. It's still here, Ben. It's still there. It looks wonderful. Your place is wonderful. I'm excited for you to get a chance to hug your mom soon. You too. I'm excited for you to hug your parents too. Um, uh, all right, the end. ID 10 scanning complete. Enjoy your burrito. Welcome to Pura, the most pristine, safe, climate-stable city on Earth. A haven amidst the wreckage. Here, you're safe from heat domes, superstorms, water bandits in the outer lands. There's no crime in Pura. No murder, no suicide. And best of all, there's no cost to join us. In Pura, we promise to keep you safe. They killed her! You took everything! In a world that doesn't feel so safe anymore, we're waiting for you. Here, in Pura. The Last City is a new scripted audio drama from Wondery. Enjoy The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City right now, ad-free, on Wondery Plus. Get started with your free trial at wondery.com slash plus.